Welcome, everybody, to From City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York. From City to the World is a show about how the work that we're doing at City College matters to people across the city and throughout the world. We'll discuss the practical applications of our research in solving real-world issues like poverty, homelessness, mental health challenges, affordable housing, disparities in healthcare, and immigration. Today, we actually have a slightly differently formatted show. As you know from listening to the show, normally what we do is take one member of our City College community, faculty or staff, who's working on one of these issue areas and talk to her or to him for about a half an hour and then put them into conversation with a member in the community who's doing similar or analogous work. Today, we are, um, like most of you, thinking all the time about how we navigate the COVID-19 pandemic. And so what we'll be doing is talking to three separate members of the City College faculty and bringing their academic expertise to bear on the question of how we navigate the pandemic with security and sanity. What I do also want to say is we are doing pretty robust programming oriented to the pandemic. If you tune in, you will hear members of Harlem Chamber of Commerce, members of community organizations, and other members of the City College faculty talking about medical issues related to the pandemic, legal policy issues. So the three guests that I have today uh, come from very different corners of the college, and I'll say more about them individually as they come in, but just to preview it, Professor Jerry Carlson is the chair of the Department of Media and Communication Arts at City College, and he really has made his focus, cinema, and in particular, world cinema. We'll talk to him a little bit about that. My old friend, Turk Sadawi, has been at the City College of New York since 1980 and is a member of the Electrical Engineering Department, but is particularly now connected as co-director and co-founder of the Cybersecurity Master's Program at CCNY, which is starting this fall, 2020. We'll talk to him about cybersecurity. And Professor Lou Marinoff, who we will speak to first, is a member of our philosophy department. So I'll tell you a little bit more about him right now. He's a Commonwealth scholar who's originally from Canada, studied theoretical physics at Concordia and McGill Universities, earned a PhD in philosophy of science at the University College of London, and has been at CCNY since 1994. And Professor Marinoff's expertise, especially coming out of the philosophy of science background that he has, has been on the mobilization of philosophical insights in their practical aspect. And the book that he is well known for is called Plato, Not Prozac. And in that title, you, you more or less get a sense of where he has taken his philosophical knowledge, where he argues that an understanding and embrace of philosophy can do a great deal to yield therapeutic benefits to people who are troubled. He collaborates on this work with think tanks and leadership forums like the Aspen Institute, BioVision, the Festival of Thinkers in, in Abu Dhabi, and many, many other similar gatherings. And so we're really excited to have him and our other two guests on the show today. Please welcome Professor Lou Marinoff to From City to the World. Professor Marinoff. Thank you very much, President Boudreau, or Vince, if we're informal today. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me on, and as well as welcome to my esteemed colleagues. Yeah, we are you know, informal here and elsewhere. So yes, we'll be on a first name basis all the time. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about this idea of applying the insights of philosophy. I, I will say this as a philosophy major myself in college, 
how did you come to the idea of, I guess, what we might call practical philosophy? Okay, very good question. And there are several entry points into the field, which is now global and uh, as a new field, it's made all kinds of strides in the last 30 years. My particular entry point was accidental and it came through an applied ethics center. I was hired for computing expertise and networking expertise to get ethicists to communicate back in the early 90s when humanities professors were, I think, the last to use email. But in any case, as we were often in the media, Many issues, of course, still abound in applied ethics, be they medical ethics, engineering ethics, environmental ethics, the list goes on, and they're all important. Issues are abstract, however, and persons are real. And as we were getting publicity and giving sound bites to the media in Vancouver at the UBC, believe it or not, Vince, people from the community, ordinary folks, made the connection and said, if these ethicists can talk to issues, maybe they can speak to persons, and we began to get calls my first two clients were, one was a phone call. This guy phoned the center and said, I want to talk to a philosopher. He had a moral dilemma, high school mm-hmm. principal, uh, got legal advice, but that didn't, the root cause of his problem was actually ethical, not legal. Mm-hmm. So we resolved that in one phone call, fortunately. The second client was a walk-in off the street, a graduate student who was trying to prioritize his values. And uh, so we had an existentialist conversation using Sartre. Anyway, long story short, I got into the field and I've become a pioneer ever since then. It's been a really interesting life. But yeah, philosophy can have many practices. It's, it's, of course, renowned and sometimes feared for its rather fearsome intellectual rigor. And it is an easy, I mean, it's not an easy discipline. But no, we help a lot of people. We help a lot of folks because not every problem, uh, with respect to psychology and psychiatry, I collaborate with them all over the world. They do a great job treating mental illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not every problem in life is a mental illness. Some problems are existential crises and other things, which we are certainly well trained to handle. So that's a short story. So as you think about where we're at as a society now in the middle of this pandemic, you know, we obviously have huge troubling ethical dilemmas surrounding the distribution of care, the distribution of resources. But I also imagine that people who have been you know, sheltering at home, trying to figure out the relationship between the need to provide for a family, the need to keep everybody safe. In almost all aspects of where we are right now, there are ethical dilemmas. And, and I wonder how you think about the needs that you think people might be having now and, and where philosophy can be helpful. Great question, Vincent. It can be helpful in a lot of ways. We're not the medical folks. We're not the ones who are going to come up with the vaccine. And we're not the ones who, who are going to help to keep the supply chain functioning and keep the food on the shelves. But in between all of those vital activities that governments and scientific professionals need to do, there's a whole lot of empty space. There's a whole lot of uncharted territory. And I want to address that because philosophy can meet some of these needs very well. For example, we talk about the final frontiers. Well, are there intergalactic space, which none of us are getting to anytime soon? Or indeed, the powers of mind and the underutilized capacities of human consciousness. These are things now we have more time. It's almost being imposed on us. We have more time to explore our own minds. I've been talking to a lot of folks lately, colleagues and and, and all kinds of friends, relations and co-professionals stuck pretty much at home. It's an odd thing. A lot of Americans used to hate their jobs. It wasn't that long ago when you get a lot of complaints, you know, the job from hell, the boss from hell. Now I'm sorry to say we've reached a very different situation. A lot of people will be more than happy to be back at work. So what I'm trying to say is that perspective has a great role to play, not in what the virus does, but in how we respond to it. 
And in the philosophical domain, I think, and I'll make some very concrete suggestions to the folks who are stranded at home to perhaps help them utilize some of these capacities that may be lying dormant. Yeah, let's talk about some of them. Yeah, I want to go right to the folks. Uh, And I mean, we just finished, you know, my nonprofit, which trains philosophers to render useful services outside the academy. We just finished training a core group in India because they're under lockdown. They were a little later than us to, into that you know, loop of lockdown. And there are some brilliant philosophers. I was approached by the chair of the University of Delhi philosophy department who put together a group from across India. We did, thanks to this platform, an online certification with my nonprofit. And we have a core group of Indian philosophicals now trained to deliver services there. And this is going to increase, this demand will increase. So let's get to it. First of all, people are stressed. And they're stressed for a variety of reasons. It is not just because they're worried about the externals and the threat of contagion is highly transmissible. We know this. They're stressed because they're worried about loved ones, particularly if they have loved ones in elder care. And we know how catastrophic it is in those facilities or indeed the dangers in hospitals. They may be stressed because they're frontline employees or healthcare workers of other kinds doing critical jobs at their own risk. So all those are potential causes of stress, but there's another one I've discovered, and that is just from sitting at home, having moved your life online, there's an incredible amount of stress. Tarek, this morning, you may have felt it too. And I have an explanation for this. It's not the explanation, but it's a philosophical perspective. Look, we were evolved a long time ago to have certain stress responses that are physiological and basically autonomic. When you're walking down the jungle path and you hear a rustling in the bush and you don't know if it's the tiger or your own lunch, basically the body undergoes 12 physiological changes which prepare us for fight or flight. And we're not normally able to control that. If you do martial arts for a long time or other meditative techniques, you can and will learn to control your stress. So there's already a tip. My primary care physician says, I had my annual telemedicine checkup. He didn't do any medical things. He said, watch some Tai Chi videos. He said he and his wife are finding this very good. They're doing Tai Chi at home. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Uh, Clinical psychologists on TV, these TV psychotherapists are saying, take a long walk. Oh, excuse me, get back to nature or at least a park? Why? Remember Henry David Thoreau said that we are in distress because we become the tools of our tools and we've dissociated ourselves from nature. So these are therapeutic things which come from philosophical traditions, East and West, and people can engage in them at no cost, okay? That's point one. So on the stress factor, so here's what happens, and our body produces this stuff, but in modern terms, there are two contexts in which these evolutionarily adaptive instincts no longer serve us well. And one of them is a traffic jam. Well, we're not in those anymore, right? but not yet. Maybe back in Beijing, but not here. So if you're caught in a traffic jam, you experience exactly that same stress, but you can't fight and you can't flee. The traffic jam doesn't care. It won't, you can't fight it, and of course, you can't get out of it but you're stressed nonetheless, yeah? And now we have a different kind of stress, the stress of sitting at a computer all day long, also not being able to discharge that energy by fight or flight. You can't fight the virus, it's an invisible enemy, and you can't run away from it. We're all trying to escape, in a sense, the transmissibility, right? But where are we escaping to? Essentially, we're trapped in a place where we can't run and we can't hide. We wanna be safe and secure in our homes, but we're still worried about that. So it produces stress. And I think that people need firstly to basically restructure themselves to take a break from the computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy to be overworked online if you're fortunate enough to have work, as we all are. So take a break, take a walk, 
draw a little circle in the floor where you, you know, lower the cone of silence, don't be disturbed there, and do Tai Chi or do meditation or do something from an Asian tradition that will calm you down and alleviate the stress. I'm doing this myself at home, and it's working wonders. Believe me, just take a walk or meditate or do something online with a dance or a Tai Chi, anything to discharge the physical stress that your body is building up from having no other way to respond to the crisis. And that will help to calm you. It's not going to cure the virus, but it's going to make things a lot more bearable while we're in this interim period. Okay, that's point one. Well, let me ask you, you know, my introduction to philosophy was the dialogues of Plato and then Wittgenstein and John Rawls and all of these very, very heavy texts. And some people will listen to you and say, you know, I've been a long time since I read Aristotle. They'll go back to it. How would you advise someone who's maybe not going to go back to the books they read in college to think philosophically. Are there pieces out there that you would recommend people to pick up and say, this is a really good guide to everyday philosophical thinking? Absolutely. So I'd like to introduce our second guest today, Professor Jerry Carlson, as I said earlier, is the chair of the Department of Media and Communication Arts at City College of New York. He also, at the Graduate Center, is a member of the Doctoral French Film Studies and Comparative Literature. He's also a senior fellow at the Bildner Center for Western Hemispheric Studies. He's also an active producer, director, and writer, and he's got 11 Emmy Awards. He's a senior producer for City University Televisions and has created and produced the series Cydia Cinematique, which is about film history. Uh, I had some really enjoyable nights a little while ago going through the, the film noir series that you ran there. Tenepe, which is about French-American cultural relations. Nueva York in Spanish, which is about Latino culture of New York City. And as an independent producer, his award-winning films include the Showtime Network's production, Diri, directed by Nancy Zavaka, and Looking for Paladin, directed by Andrzej Prakowski, who is also on faculty here at CCNY. Professor Carlson, Jerry, welcome to From City to the World. Hey, great to be here, Vince. Always happy to talk about the movies and to do it with you. Okay, so... And with, we, and with today's audience, yeah. And with today's audience, we are... All of us, I believe, slogging through Amazon Prime and Netflix. I got to tell you, I think I've watched everything that's on television. And now I'm going to YouTube for ancient film clips to keep me occupied. And so one of your expertise is in world cinema. And I wonder, as so many of us are homebound, if you had some ideas about how we might occupy ourselves maybe a little more fruitfully. I sure do. <laughs> so uh, the first thing would be, what are you going to look at? And then the second thing might be, where are you going to find it? And so let's start, you know, there's lots of lists out there um, in, on the internet. The greatest this, the greatest this, da, 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 da. There's actually for the movies, there's something very interesting that all of our listeners can go and find very, very easily, which is the British Film Institute polls that take place every decade. And they get together polls of film critics and historians from around the world, as well as film artists, directors, producers, etc., And they do this massive thing, hundreds of people saying, hey, what do you respect most of all global cinema? And they do it both for fiction films and they do it both for movies. So folks can just go to British Film Institute, BFI, in a, greatest movies or greatest films, search that on your favorite search engine and you're going to get the link to it. And you're going to come up with this really quite remarkable list of movies. 
Now, real film nerds really get into it over this list. Oh my God. You mean they think Vertigo is the greatest film and Citizen Kane isn't anymore? Mm -hmm. So I will leave that to everybody to have a fight over breakfast, over the ranking of the films. Mm -hmm. But what's really great about these lists is that unless you're you know, a film historian, there's probably half of the films you've never heard of. But filmmakers around the world think these are really the things they study, they enjoy, they think are the pinnacle of really, I would say, humanistic filmmaking, of films that really reveal to us the so many complicated aspects of what, what makes us the kind of upper mammals that we are. So for example, the filmmakers from around the world think that the greatest film ever made, I think it's a great film, I, I, again, I'm not so concerned about the rankings, but they say it's actually Tokyo Story by Yasuhiro Ozu, you know, which is a film from the early 1950s made in Japan. It's just about a visit of some parents to their adult children. And for many years, the Japanese didn't even want to export the film because they thought it was too Japanese. Nobody would quite get it. But now, you know, 70 years later, it is the film about the relationship between generations in a rapidly changing world, as Japan was at exactly that moment some 70 years ago. Now, just by chance, Vince, we at City Cinematheque on CUNY TV just happened to be showing Tokyo Story, and we're going to be showing it on June 13th and June 14th and June 20th. And I want to shout out the thanks, our friends at Janus Films, have responded to the need for great cinema to be shown to people during this particular time. So they donated six of the great films from their collection that they could be shown on CUNY TV. Now, if people don't know how or where to get to CUNY TV, they can go to, you know, www, as we all do, tv.cuny.edu. You'll find the search engine there. You'll find all the information. So just to come back to this, if you go to those lists at the British Film Institute, you're going to really find perhaps some surprises like, oh, I always liked that movie. I didn't know all these great filmmakers thought it was as great as I did, okay? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're going to find paths in to things. Perhaps you've never seen a film from India. Perhaps mm -hmm. you've only seen one or two films from Japan, okay? Perhaps you've never seen a film from Africa. And, you know, one of the problems I think all of us would agree that we have right now in the world, aside from the problems created by the pandemic, is an extraordinary retreat from a broad, sympathetic view of other human beings, mm -hmm. of this whole cutting off. The, we're, we're finding very, very easy enemies in the world and setting up all kinds of oppositions and things. Well, you know, the greatest way to fight that is to travel and meet other people. Now, if you can't do that, by getting on an airplane these days, the way you can do it is by entering the lives of other people, some of whom are very much apparently like you just from the get-go, and others who are not apparently like you from the get-go, and getting to know the textures of their lives, how they make decisions situated on the ground in their places. So how's a woman make a decision about whether she's going to be a prostitute or not in Japan in the 1930s? How does a kid make a decision? And that would be a film by, 
Kenji Mizuguchi. How do you decide how you're going to fit into an industrial economy if you're a teenage boy and you're an immigrant from the countryside to a city? That's Los Olvidados by Luis Manuel from 1950. So this capacity to understand without judgment, without easy judgment, how other people have to live in the world, how, whether it's be something we celebrate or whether it be something with a tragic touch to it. All of that is available if you look at the list. And by the way, the list will tell you something about each of the films. Now, how do you find those movies? You say, well, that sounds great, but where do I get it? Well, the first thing is there is a website and it's it's just the two words. Again, you can search it through any search engine called Just Watch. And Just Watch is an aggregator that, that you put in the film title and it will tell you all the streaming services available where you can find it. And you can coordinate in those ways and that's terrific. I've got one other you know, major recommendation along those lines, and that is one of the great film distributors through the years has been Janus Films. They have the Criterion Collection of DVDs and Blu-rays that many of our listeners will know about. And about a year or so ago, they launched a streaming platform called the Criterion Channel. It has a very modest you know, subscription rate. You can try it for 30 days. But they curate films in the same way that the Museum of Modern Art curates films or Lincoln Center does for the New York Film Festival, et cetera. And they've got about 2,000 films there. And so if you get interested, if you see Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa, and you say, I, I really got to know much more about this ancient Japanese world. Well, this is a place where you're going to find about 50 films, classic films of that kind that you can really dig in. You can binge on a Japanese samurai films made in Japan. Wow. Or, you know, if your preference is, uh, my name is Carlson, you wouldn't be surprised that I like the films of Ingmar Bergman, somewhat also of Swedish, Swedish descent. 25 Bergman films, okay? Mm-hmm. All of that available there. So uh, just to sort of summarize, British Film Institute Greatest Movies, look for that. You can find movies on the website Just Watch. And then among, if I, if I were to recommend a single platform that has the greatest selection of global cinema and, and many things that you, I learned about, I said, well, well, wait, where did they find that movie? Mm-hmm. I, I think I read about that 15 years ago. It was in a couple of festivals, but then it slipped out of town. Well, this is the kind of place where you find it. And listen, like you, I, I know my Netflix, I know my Amazon Prime and all of that. And they serve a great, great function. But, you know, it's, it's a bit like the literary issue. We don't confuse all the books in the bookstore at the airport with all of literature. Okay. Right. And so if you want to go to that indie bookstore, as opposed to the, the newsstand in the airport, then these are the ways to do it. I found that I'm drawn to different kinds of films being in the house and being concerned about the pandemic. Is there a particular kind of film, A, that you are watching these days that maybe speaks to the moment that we're in? And is there a kind of film that you would recommend as a way of bringing people through this very difficult time in our society? You know, I have what, what may sound strange, but polar opposite responses that I try to control at the same time okay. to that. 
So on the, on the one hand, I'm drawn to the entire dark noir tradition of filmmaking and what I would call a Kafka-esque cinema, one of a kind of the films that really point out absurdity of life and its darkness. I actually find, you know, that, oh, you know, it's not just me having those thoughts. Mm -hmm. This poor chump just got trapped by something that was really no fault of his own, as mm -hmm. the pandemic is not the fault of anyone. Right. So the way of, of, of entering into those trapped kind of lives, uh, I find that very attractive. You know, but on the other hand, recently I had the great privilege of seeing the wonderful documentary made by Peter Bogdanovich, which I do recommend to people, called The Great Buster, which mm -hmm. is his documentary about Buster Keaton. Now, uh -huh. I should admit, a prejudice here that I believe that Buster Keaton is the Mozart of silent cinema. I believe he is one of the great geniuses of American culture. And of course, he's a comic artist. And, he, and he's a person who would never even have called himself an artist. Right. He was just the guy who told funny stories visually. But to enter into that world of Buster Keaton and of his films or of the other great comic artists of the world, whether it be his rival and friend, Charlie Chaplin, or whether it be some of the great dialogue comedies of the American tradition, like His Girl Friday, or the movies of Preston Sturgis, written by Preston Sturgis, like Easy Living. The you Thin know, Men uh, movies, right? Yeah, abs absolutely. Or, you know, across the ocean to our friends in France and the movies of Jacques Tati and their incredible visual wit. Etc. So I go in those two directions. I kind of go to friends of Franz Kafka and friends of Shakespearean comedy That's in their funny. movie manifestation. That's funny. My third guest is Professor Trick Zadawi, who has been with the City University of New York and City College since 1980. I thought I was the old guard, but you've got a decade <laughs> on me. Um, he's currently the director of the Center for Information Networking and Telecommunications at CCNY. We call that CINT. But Dr. Zadawi is also the co-director and co-founder of the Cybersecurity Master's Program, which he and his collaborator, Rosario Gennaro, have been developing for the last couple of years and will be debuting in the fall of 2020. His current areas of research are cybersecurity, intrusion detecting systems with applications to smart grid and autonomous systems, and blockchain. He's the former chairman of the IEEE Computer Society of New York, and he's received the IEEE Regional One Award. He's also co-author of a book on telecommunications, lead author of the Egypt Telecommunications Infrastructure Master's Plan, which was funded by USAID. And he's been invited to join the Department of Commerce delegation trip to the government of Algeria addressing rural communications. Professor Zadawi, welcome to From City to the World. Thank you. So let's start by talking about this extraordinary moment that we're in. We've all moved online. We've all moved lots of transactions online. People who were walking to banks or ordering food with cash or credit cards and now doing more and more from their home, from their computers. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the enhanced dangers that people might be facing in this moment? Thank you, Vance. It, was, it is great to be with the group. Definitely, it is very special times we're going through now. And one of the things that really exploded as a result of that pandemic is phishing attacks 
phishing attacks basically are all bombarded by many informations and some of them are correct, some of them are not as a result of the social media. But as a result, the attackers or the hackers take advantage of this and try to use our suspense state to create this type of hacking. And one of the common things, as we all know, is phishing. Phishing attacks is basically send you a fake email, you accept it or you download it, some attachment to it, and boom, you go, you had a virus in your computer without you realizing this. Mm-hmm. Or the attacker make direct you to a wrong site on the internet web page. You hit and click there and boom, you go, you find the virus came to your computer. Once it is in your computer, you end up connected with someone remotely, could be overseas, anywhere in the world, that control that small piece. And that's called phishing attack. And that's mm-hmm. actually very common nowadays. Mm-hmm. And it increased as a result of that pandemic. The risk of it has so many. For example, if, I, if the attacker can infect millions of computers without us knowing that, the attacker can control our computers and can issue dummy packets to be sent for a specific website he wants to attack. So that website gets millions of packets, millions of traffic coming to that website. So it goes down to go down. And as a result, it is a form of bringing down some of those websites. Mm-hmm. So clearly phishing has a serious problem and a lot of incidents daily happen. Mm-hmm. So clearly that's one of the things we need to be alert of. And obviously we have to be careful how we plan to use these type of things. When we, are, we log on the computer, we have to trust whom we're talking with. We have to, to know which website I'm going to, this type of things add more protection to your virus protection software you might have in your computer. Some of these attacks are pretty obvious. A ransomware attack, you know, you can't use your computer anymore until you pay a ransom. And and so that's pretty obvious. What do you look for if you're running your computer? You know, let's say I've been the victim of a phishing attack and I didn't know it. And now my computer is being used in some of the ways you suggest. Are there things that I would notice to alert me to the fact that my computer's been compromised in this way? Things that are, for example, some of your folders, you might see files. I I just saw actually a a strange file in in one of my folders, which I don't know how it came to my... So these are the type of things, you know, that may show up in your computer without you notice some of them. The system might be locked for, for momentarily. That's another sign. You may, so the best way to do it, honestly, is to update your virus protection software. Mm -hmm. You update your Windows software or Mac, whatever your operating system you are using. So that's really first defense any person should do. You said that these attacks are growing under the influence of the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about what it is specifically about this moment that we're in that leaves us you know, perhaps more vulnerable than we might otherwise be at other times. You mentioned ransom attack. Actually, ransom attack were serious in maybe a couple of months ago before the pandemic. Okay. Uh, but now they, they went down a little bit because the attacker kind of went another direction. I mean, basically, so we had a little bit of slowdown in ransom attack. 
-hmm. although they do happen, but not at the same level as it was before. But clearly, a lot of other attacks are increasing, increasing rapidly. For example, they're getting a lot of sites that try to use phishing attack, try to pretend they are World Health Organization or some government sites. Mm -hmm. uh, there are sites that attempt to take advantage of the stimulus act that's going around now for different people, different businesses, and they pretend they are one of them and they send you emails so you tend to be quickly to log on the site they put in, all of a sudden you find you went into a fake site. Mm -hmm. So the trend nowadays is those phishing attacks. They are simple, but they could be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. so, so that's probably what is being noticed now. Mm -hmm. Another key thing, obviously, is online banking. We do everybody now, we're doing online banking. We have to, or majority of everybody use that. Well, online banking, very good in terms of the bank itself, make sure that our connection is secure connection, encrypted connection. And, and you can see that from, you know, HTTP, but the banks tend to be HTTPS for secure. Okay. So, so that's one indication that that connection is secure. You may find it implies multi-factor authentication or facial recognition. So those things are enhancement from the bank side to guarantee the connection with you is valid. However, what we should do as users of the bank or as clients, rule number one, and actually the FBI sent that rule, is don't use the public Wi-Fi to access your banking information. Because again, public Wi-Fi might not be secure. Some of them are secure. Some of them, or majority of them, are not secure. Okay. So, and this can be easily hacked. And as a matter of fact, you mentioned, and uh, we, we're introducing that program very soon this fall, Master in Cybersecurity. In the program, we have actually current two labs we're offering, offering now, actually, this semester. And in the labs, students learn, you know, in closed environment, how hacking happens with the Wi-Fi. Mm. So one of the experiments they have is we say, here is a Wi-Fi connection, and you want to hack this one. Mm. And, and they do that, and they can get to see how to defend it, and so on. Really, rule number one is avoid public Wi-Fi access, especially for online banking. I guess the other thing is we have to be smarter maybe about our passwords. Yeah. Yes. Oh, this is, this is, of course, this is number one issue too. It is really passwords. We tend to have it for years without mm -hmm. changing it. Mm -hmm. And this is wrong. Yeah. And I, I, we say that to all of us, really, because we have to change our password every three months. And now, actually, some of the organizations start mandating that. You try to log on some government website with a password. Every three months, you have to, to, to change that. So they force you to change it. The way you do it, it clearly is very essential to change it. And, not, and again, try to vary that. As a matter of fact, if the password is more of a phrase or acronym, more than your wife's name or your daughter's name or you mm. know somebody, try to have some creativity in the password so that you can remember it, but also it becomes difficult to steal it or whatever. Okay. I'd like all three of our speakers to think a little bit broadly about this question of 
sanity, security, entertainment, enrichment in this moment. We've come at it from a number of different angles, from philosophy, from cinema, and from the details of cybersecurity. So let's start with uh, Professor Marinoff. If you could direct us back to where one might go to get a start on philosophy from a standing start, and, sure. and then let's broaden the conversation. I spoke too soon when I said the internet was gluing us all together, and that's what I wanted to say. You know, based on, on Jerry's very interesting allusion to Asia, we are interconnected in two ways. I just want to preface that. Interconnected in two ways. One, in a bad way, the transmissibility of this uh, virus is really wreaking havoc with our connectivity and our connectedness. But in a very positive way, we are glued together by the internet. And as Buddhism, among other philosophies, reminds us, as well as some Western ethical systems, we are connected in our humanity. These cultures are cosmetic differences. At the end of the day, culture and ethnicity and gender and all these issues which need to be resolved by addressing them in terms of the arenas of justice. But still, they're cosmetic in one fundamental sense. We are all at our core human. And this is an opportunity now to recapture our humanity by reconnecting with the arts. Technology, as wonderful as it is and as great as it is, doesn't always produce the magic bullets on command. And we can't, we're going to have a virus, but not tomorrow. So in the meantime, the best thing you can do is to discover what kind of philosopher is dormant inside of you. Wake that philosopher philosopher up, and that will be a great guide to seeing you through the balance of this crisis. And one resource, and Jerry was great to point out a film website, the nonprofit that I co-founded, appa.edu, that's the American Philosophical Practitioners Association, appa.edu, has a bookstore. And you can go there online and you can see dozens of titles by practical philosophers who've taken their expertise and applied them to crises of everyday living, problems, dilemmas, changes that afflict us all, and you can get some great books from there to bone up on your reading. Those of you who have, shall I say, more preparation in philosophy events could tackle the Stoics for one, the Existentialists for another. We're living in dread and uncertainty. Kierkegaard's your man for this, right? Mm -hmm. We're living with Stoic problems. There's things we can't control. The Stoics tell us how to be serene in those kinds of situations. So there's a wealth there's a wealth of resources out there, and I'm very pleased to be part of the solution to help people find them and to wake up their inner philosophers. And then they can find practitioners on the site, lastly, if they want to talk to a philosopher about this stuff, we're available. With all due respect to the healthcare profession, to be worried, to be concerned, to be anxious is not a mental illness. It's a sign that you're responding well. And I think a dialogue it will offer could be exactly the right kind of talk to have at the right moment. Yeah. You know, thank you very much for that. Yeah. And then let me just say, we're getting a lot of information about websites you can go to, places where you can get information. And at the end of the show, you'll hear me say that you can download and listen to episodes of From City to the World on our website. We will be associating with this show a list of those links that you can get, you know, films and insights into practical philosophy and maybe information on the cybersecurity program. So we'll be collecting that information for you. What I'm hearing kind of across the conversation, though, is a concern with connection, that whatever else we are burdened with in the COVID-19, we have the you know anxiety about the security of our internet connections, whether they will be maintained or whether they're safe to navigate financial transactions. We have the philosophical concern about connections and we have Professor Carlson's insights into all the places you can go to get you know, glimpses of how people connect in other places 
And I, I just want to ask what you think about that and how you all are approaching the question of connection in your various spheres of work. Well, definitely what Lewis has mentioned very well is we have to get that energy outside by meditation, by going out to exercise and things like that. So definitely that's a must for all of us to do. And I think that, that was raised very well from Lewis. Clearly, entertainment is very essential here. And I mentioned one thing is watch on Netflix, Michael Jordan, The Last Dance with my kids. And that was great. Yeah. I mean, it was collection of... So definitely... The combination you alerted to are very good and very, very crucial. And last thing I want to mention in that, you mentioned about security. We are online here using these type of tools like Zoom and whatever. Very careful note that this also been hacked and there have been reports about this. So clearly how we can balance between those three issues you mentioned mm-hmm. is very crucial nowadays. Yeah, I think that's right. Jerry? Well, you know, I was going to say, one of the things the movies can do is that it can connect us with other people, but it can also connect us with ourselves in the sense of, well, wait a minute, I'm going through some pretty strange stuff these days, mm-hmm. and I feel a bit isolated in going through that stuff. I wonder if anybody else has ever gone through anything like that. So I'm going to recommend three films that, that are out there. They're all considered by film scholars to be great classics of international cinema. And they're very, very different takes, but they're all related to, uh, you know, a sense of isolation, a sense of, sense of this. So one of them, and the, the end of the film is, is in the title, A Man Escaped. And uh-huh. it's a film about a, a prisoner of war during World War II. He's French. And it's really about what it means to be trapped and to be plotting your escape. And every day is a set of expectations of, will today be the day in which I figure it out? Will today be the day of of the break? So that's one, A Man Escaped. Another one, a very dark comedy, is a film called The Exterminating Angel by Luis Bunuel. And a group of people are having a great party, maybe like our lives were, okay? And it's the end of the party, and the problem is no one's allowed to leave the party. Time stops. And so what happens when you can't leave the party and time stops? So that's The Exterminating Angel by Luis Bunuel. And then finally, if you, we want to go in an even darker direction, there's a film, a horror film, but a, an existential horror film called Repulsion, which is about a young woman who's slipping into madness alone in an apartment. And this would be, this would be the counterexample we would want. We'd say, well, you know, that's actually not me. I thought, I thought things were pretty bad for me, but they're really not as bad for me as they are for her. But it's also a brilliant cinematic exploration of what isolation, isolation can mean. So, A Man Escaped, The Exterminating Angel, and Repulsion. People who were trapped and what they did with it. Well, so people who were trapped, that sounds like a little bit urging people onto the edge, look down into the abyss, and then go back in and reflect on how good you had it. Listen, folks, uh, we are at the end of our hour. I want to thank all three of you for taking us through this conversation on how you say safe and sane, and I'll add to it, entertained during the COVID pandemic. We've been very, very fortunate to be joined by Professor Lou Marinoff from the City College Department of Philosophy, Professor Jerry Carlson, the chair of the Department of Media and Communication Arts at CCNY, 
and Professor Tariq Zadawi, Professor in the Electrical Engineering Department and co-founder and director of our brand new master's program in cybersecurity. You've been listening to From City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau. This show is produced by Vince Boudreau and, you know, with Angela Harden, who is our station director. And in these COVID-19 episodes, Tiffany Burt has also been our production assistant. And as you heard, she's been running the board, not really the board. She's been clicking the computer for this show. The editor of the program is Angela Harden. Angela, it's not the same doing this from the living room table. I can't wait to get back in the studio with you so that we can look across the board and do this show live as we have now for three years. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, president of City College of New York from City to the World, saying to all of you, be smart, be safe, be entertained. And if you find yourself a little bit backed into a corner by the stresses of COVID-19, reflect on what you can do to secure your internet, explore world cinema, and think a little bit about practical philosophy. See you back here next month with the next episode of From City to the World. Thank you, everybody. Be safe.